Hello, I'm Helena Wotton, a data lawyer, coach and yogi. Um, I'm your host on this Privacy Laws and Business Privacy Paths podcast as we take on a topic that's close to mine and many of our hearts and that's well-being, physical and mental. The backdrop of COVID is having a continued impact on our lives and health and how we connect with others at work and more generally And as we know, UK privacy law is designed to protect individuals' information and also provide rules for businesses when using their employees' data. Never has the use of health and wellbeing information been so important. So with that in mind, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome two renowned privacy lawyers, Jenai Nissim and Alison Dayton, to the podcast. Each is a director and co-founder of Hello DPO. Hello DPO is a data privacy law firm based in the UK. They provide outsourced data protection officer services and legal advice on all things privacy related. Jenai is also a yoga instructor, which no doubt helps her to de-stress after a busy day of providing yoga uh, uh, privacy advice. And Alison, I hear that you've turned to gardening and you're nurturing your new lemon tree. I am indeed. <laughs> Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So today we're going to be focusing on COVID and well-being and data. So Jenai and Alison will be discussing the impact of COVID on the well-being of employees and how organisations are balancing their data obligations when using employee data with the effective management of well-being and mental health. And I'm curious about the Information Commissioner's Office guidance that's been issued. So Jenai, would you like to start by setting the context and explaining a bit about the impact that COVID, these times, these strange times have had on our mental health and the well-being of employees and how that's affected businesses? Absolutely. And thanks, Helena. It's great to be here. Um, so given the impact of the pandemic generally um, on the nation and the world, um, it's not surprising that the UK government has been monitoring mental health generally for um, individuals. Um And when I was researching for the podcast, I thought I'd have a look into mental health statistics, hoping that somebody will have um, started looking into this. So these statistics are in relation to the first round of lockdown. So we were going from spring into summer, a bit more of a happier time than uh, we are at the moment going into winter. Um, And I stumbled across um, a report by the UK government, which is the COVID-19 Mental Health and Wellbeing Surveillance Report, which has been input by many different institutes. And uh, two of the key statistics that were quite startling and actually quite sad when you read them, um, is that mental health distress is 8.1% higher um, than it was in 2017 and 2019. And in April 2020, over 30% of adults actually reported uh, levels of mental um, distress, which were indicative that they needed um, treatment. And that was compared to around about 20% in 2019. So this was only the first um, half of the pandemic. And additionally, the cohort sizes, so the number of people that they interviewed was quite small, given the millions of people. We're talking about um, a small number of thousands of people. And the demographic was, was older, older women, um, not necessarily representative. So 
with, with findings like that, it's not it's not surprising that employees and employers are, are not only grappling with the fallout from the COVID generally, but also the mental impact that that actually is having on people. And as an employer, um, a lot of the personal data that you do process at the moment will be COVID-related data. And not only do you have your regulatory obligations from a data protection point of view, because obviously data protection is important, but you also have those obligations to make sure that the health and well-being of those individuals is also balanced. So I think it's quite a trying time for organisations doing the right things by the law, but also mentally making sure that people feel supported and safe during this environment. We've seen loads of articles and debates about COVID testing and, you know, the regulations and how we must do things like DPIAs, but none really looking at the actual mental impact as well and how you deal with performance management. So a DPIA for everyone is a data protection impact assessment. And we'll come on to that. I think we're going to mention how they might be useful. Thanks, Jenai. That's really great to get the context and obviously quite distressing, but we see it, don't we? We see it. So, Alison, can you tell us where you've seen uh, data protection issues arising, particularly with HR teams? I mean, I'm guessing employers are grappling with performance management and and work-related health matters. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of new initiatives going on. Businesses are having to be very reactive, putting in place new programs to try to make sure they are have a, sell, a healthy and safe workplace for their employees. So we're seeing a number of different um, actions happening that have data implications. So I'll go through a, some, a few examples for you. One is making sure that people, when they come into the office, they have concerns, obviously, about being exposed to other people, potentially people who may have COVID symptoms. So how do you go about making sure that you do have that safe workplace for your employees. Some organisations are simply taking a sort of guidance approach and telling people, well, if you have these symptoms, you know, make sure you stay at home, let your line manager know you can't come in, follow the NHS guidelines, etc. So that's not really very different to the pre-COVID world where someone who had flu symptoms would probably have phoned their line manager and let them know they couldn't come in. Mm. But at the other end of the scale, we've got much more intrusive and extra data collection going on where people are putting in screening so that people can't come into office buildings or into specific office workplaces if they have got the temperature over a certain level. And so you might have thermal imaging cameras or specific temperature checkers on the door that people have to go through and if they're above the the temperature that's deemed too high they will be turned away so that obviously has a big impact on somebody whether they can or can't come into the workplace. Um, We're also seeing much more data being gathered about employees when they are returning to work so sometimes that's because employers are sending out questionnaires and surveys asking people positively for information about their circumstances to make sure that they can accommodate those and that they've got everything in place to support people. But even if employers aren't doing that, some employees, because they have specific health conditions or perhaps they are living with somebody who is particularly vulnerable, are volunteering information to their employers Um, to make sure that the employer knows their circumstances and can take account of that. So there's just a lot more data being gathered about people's personal circumstances than was previously the case. We've also got on the performance management side of things, you know, people have been struggling with having children at home, uh, having to self-isolate in a household full of people, making it difficult to work from home. Um, And that has led to Um, performance issues, having to have conversations with people about how they are managing that, how they can be supported by the employer. 
Um, and, and so that's, again, additional use of data, more data about someone's personal circumstances than you would normally get. And from an occupational health point of view, if you know that somebody is struggling, that they are perhaps feeling lonely, isolated, not coping well with the COVID and the, the mental stress that puts on people, then you may um, have be supporting them through your occupational health scheme. And that's, again, additional data being collected. You might be getting reports as an employer back from the occupational health provider, um, which gives you more information to help you with that employee. Um, and then the final area where we're seeing data issues arising is in relation to monitoring. And this has a potentially a really big privacy impact on employees. So some employers don't believe that their employees are working if they can't see them sat at a desk in an office and so want to be monitoring them to make sure that they are actually doing what they should be doing. And there are different tools that can be used for that. Some of it is not too intrusive. It might simply give you sort of the, the amount of time someone has been logged in for. But some of these tools are very intrusive and do keystroke analysis and provide productivity reports, which really show exactly what people have been doing literally every second of the day. And if as an employee, you are sat there and you know that from the minute you log in, you're going to be monitored, monitored to see what websites you're visiting, what apps you're using, how long you're taking to do all the different tasks, that's, that's quite a, an intrusive uh, amount of monitoring. And at the other end of the scale, we've also got people monitoring to make sure people aren't doing too much. So we, we know that we've seen studies have come out showing that actually a lot of people are working longer hours in COVID because it's harder to turn off at the end of the day. You're all set up to work from home. And some employers are monitoring actually to take proactive steps to suggest to people they should stop working and shouldn't be doing so much to, to protect their well-being. Thanks, Alison. Gosh, a range of potentially very intrusive uses of, of data. Um, and I, I've experienced this as well. And, and not only the employer, but third parties, you know, service providers may be having access to, to the data as well. Either they're carrying out the checks or or doing the monitoring. So, yeah, no, that's that's thank you. So with all the additional health information and new intrusive potentially monitoring by employee by employers of employees what practical steps can we help organizations to do what what do they need to do I think that the main thing to do is really to go back to basics of GDPR so if you look at the core principles in GDPR make sure you are meeting those obligations then you won't go far wrong so just as a quick recap of those core principles we have transparency lawfulness purpose limitation, data minimization, data accuracy, storage limitation, and data security. So I'll go through each of those and sort of give a few examples of the types of things people should be thinking about. So in terms of transparency, if you are collecting more data, you are monitoring people in a new way, you need to be telling people what you are doing, what data you're collecting, how you're going to be using it, who you might be sharing it with, how long you're going to keep it for, etc. So if we look at that example of monitoring sort of productivity amongst employees, probably the easiest way to do that will be to send uh, an email communication or some sort of all staff communication to your employees, explaining to them what's being put in place, why you're doing it, hopefully giving them some assurance around the fact that it's not going to be too intrusive. And you might also have to talk to works councils or um, trade union representatives to make sure that they're comfortable with what's being put in place. 
Um, but you also need to think about, well, some of these individuals we might not have that direct contact with. With employees, it's a bit easier because you've got a sort of a clear, direct means of communication with them. But if you're monitoring people coming into a building, you don't know who that's going to be. Anybody, in theory, could work, walk in off the street and, and come into a building. So you won't have given them a privacy notice explaining what your temperature checking is doing. So in that circumstance, you need to think, well, how are we going to tell those people? It might be signs. It might be giving people leaflets when they come into the building. But you need to think about the different ways you might be collecting data and who those individuals are. Then coming on to lawfulness. Under GDPR, you have to have a lawful basis um, to permit your processing. And usually in this context, we're seeing two lawful bases being relied upon. One is that you have an employment law obligation to do something. So you might have to make sure you've got a safe workplace for people. If, you, if that's the case, if you have an employment law obligation, then you are allowed to use the data. The other one that we're seeing being relied on is legitimate interests. And this is used more for the monitoring side of things when you're monitoring for your own business purposes. Uh, but it's important to remember if you rely on legitimate interests as your legal basis, you have to do an assessment to make sure that your legitimate interests aren't outweighed by the privacy rights and expectations of the individual. And that assessment should be documented in a legitimate interest assessment. Um, you also need to remember that for health data, that's special category data. So there are more restrictions on how you're allowed to, when you're allowed to use that data. But again, normally, if it's required for an employment law obligation, that will be permitted. If it's not for an employment law reason, then you'll need to look very carefully at the GDPR and the Data Protection Act to make sure you are permitted to use that data. So moving on to uh, purpose limitation. This is, you need to think about, well, exactly what purposes do we need to use this data for and how will we make sure it's only used for those purposes? And a line manager isn't going to think, oh, well, this is actually really useful for my performance uh, management or I'm going to use this to assess bonuses or something. You know, it needs to be really clear guidelines for people. No, we only use it for this purpose. We limit access for this purpose and we've got a clear audit trail of, of how it's being used. Then moving on to data minimization, we have found that when we have challenged organizations on what they're wanting to do, actually very often they don't need all the data they think they do, or they don't need to do something in such an intrusive way. So we had one organization that wanted to um, implement its own track and trace system within the workplace. So get all their employees to download an app that would effectively work, you know, similar to the government's track and trace system. But we we ended up, they actually didn't implement anything at all. They decided they could sort of segregate the office space so that people were only in very limited contact with other people, have a one-way system and give clear guidelines. And they didn't need to collect any data at all. So make sure if you're on the privacy side of things, you're really challenging what people are suggesting and making sure they actually do need the data. Then moving on to data accuracy, if you're making decisions about people using tools like temperature te testing or monitoring performance remotely, you really need to be confident that they are accurate tools. They're giving you accurate results because the impact of those decisions could be really important for the individual. You know, they're going to be turned away from their place of work. They might be put on a performance management plan. So you need to ensure that you've tested those tools that you're using and you're confident they are actually giving accurate results. Um, then data retention, 
this is something that we find people forget about when they're implementing a project because they're not thinking about the end of the project. They're just thinking about getting it all going. But it's really key to think right from the outset, well, how long do we need this data for and how are we going to delete it? Make sure you've you've got the procedure to delete it right from the outset because then you'll make sure it actually happens. And quite a lot of this data you really don't need for very long at all. Yep. So, for example, temperature checking, do, you probably don't need to retain it. If you're just turning people away, if they're over a certain temperature, you don't need to record their specific temperature at all. So just don't don't record it. And then finally, data security. And this is always a big issue with anything um, personal data related. So it's just thinking about the usual things, you know, who will have access to the data? How will the access be authorized? Is it in a secure environment? Make sure that you've kept it secure and that no one can access it if they shouldn't have access to it. And just to sort of sum up around all of that, a really good way of making sure you're meeting all of these requirements is to do a data protection impact assessment. And um, in some cases, in many cases, actually, for monitoring where you're using health data, you will have a legal obligation to do a data protection impact assessment. Um, and that's and, and DPIA is basically just a way of making sure that you have identified all the risks, you've mitigated all those risks, and you've documented how you're doing that. So if challenged, you can really show from an accountability perspective how you're dealing with all of these issues. Great. Thanks, Alison. That's all so helpful for every business. And Jenna, what are we seeing in practice in HR teams? What What's happening operationally? Yeah, and I think engagement with HR and operational teams is quite key. And also with people managers as well, because, you know, they need a lot of guidance and, and help with these things too. Um so whilst a lot of organizations are taking positive steps to help their employees through difficult times with some very innovative um kind of social events drinking mm -hmm. games and maybe some healthier <laughs> options as we've seen um i think there are some important things to consider when when you when, when your teams are implementing um these kind of events so i've pulled together some um some ideas and some some comments for for people to just think about is um Great. team meetings check-ins social events don't record them because um you right. know i think there's an expectation of privacy um and if you are intending on recording any particular events i think it's really important to make sure that people understand before the recording starts that you're taking that information and you're using it as well i think it's fine if everybody wants to take a photo or they want to record somebody doing something funny like um alice and june charades or something which is highly amusing <laughs> uh help to morale of the team I think that's fine, but I think just making sure people are aware of that. Um, blurring out backgrounds, actually, um, something we've had a lot of fun with and clients too, is the fact that you can blur your backgrounds now in, in most um, conference facilities that you have. So you could be on a beach um, or you could be kind of like top of a top of a building uh, and maybe not so much in your cupboard for some people that don't have offices at home. So you can see um, your wardrobe from last year. So again, something about that, it's just it's worth bearing in mind. Um, wellness bonuses and fitness challenges they're a brilliant idea because I think everybody's you know at home a lot you're not getting out as much as you can so it's good to incentivize employees but just just be aware about how you're going to be using that data and information and again if HR teams as Alison mentioned um, they want to use that data and information and think oh that's really good I can you know find out how many steps this person's doing do you really need to know that and also we are employers, we're not physicians, <laughs> so we're not here for some 
you know prevention program yeah. for health um so again just allowing people to take part if they want to as well and just making it very clear that it's voluntary and if you are going to be monitoring what people are doing just make them aware of that before you actually do it and also i've been told that i'm not allowed to tell people they have to do exercise in the morning before coming to work apparently it has to be something that they want to do which i'm not entirely sure about so okay. um and i think um Another thing which is quite good, and when we were looking at this um, from our own point of view, really, to support our employees and also clients, really, that we work with, is um, we um, we had a look on the Mind website, which has some brilliant resources. And one of them we found was called a, um, a wellness action plan. Um, and it's actually not designed, really, for uh, an employment context, but it's actually for you to do your own personal check-in to see how you're feeling, because not everybody has probably taken a step back to look at why do I feel a particular way. So again, using the wellness action plan, it's quite good because it talks about how you're feeling, what can you do better. And I think if organisations are going to start do, doing that, um, as Alison stated above about the whole data minimization, thinking about what data and information you need and is it excessive. Um, if you're asking people to fill out questionnaires about their, I don't know, symptoms, has anybody else that they know been in, in contact with somebody else that's had COVID or how they're feeling? It's just thinking about making sure that you're only collecting the information that you need. Because as we've seen in the recent H&M fine, where they were well, collecting information about vacations, um, illnesses, their diagnosis, the symptoms, it was well beyond any organization's, you know, requirements really for that information. So again, it's just be helpful, but just understand why you need the information. And then finally, my favorite and actually the most important one, and it's something that we've learned, uh, you know, being employers and kind of directors of our firm, people look up to you as well. And I think they always just assume that, well, if Alison and Jenna are fine, and if, you know, the people that I know are doing well, then is there something wrong with me? Is why am I feeling like this when everybody else feel, feels, um, you know, okay. But I think it's about being human. It's about being kind. And it's about sharing your feelings as we go through this um, this journey. So um, I think it, it's great to talk about how you're feeling. But again, taking it back from a manager point of view, if you're having to have those one-to-one -one meetings and you're kind of like doing line managers and disciplinaries, it's making sure that you're accessible and you're being open and honest to those employees, but also right. remembering the fact that you are a manager as well. And I think organizations are struggling a lot with that when they're getting data in different ways where the employee perhaps might not understand that that's then going to be used for performance management or kind of other HR related matters. So yeah, that's just a few things that we're sharing. I'm not going to implement the, what was it, the monitor on the fridge, Helen, which is a good idea, just to make sure people aren't drinking or eating too much, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I did wonder about when that might uh, might might come out, Jenna. Yeah, the, the fridge monitor, the AI fridge monitor. Um, oh, thank you so much. That's really great, practical, and from your viewpoint as well as an em employer. So, Alison, what other sources of help are there for employees and employers? The the ICO has some great uh, practical guidance on data protection issues you need to consider, and that's constantly evolving. So they have a sort of COVID hub page where you can go and find everything that they've issued. So I definitely recommend taking a look at that. Um, the COVID-19 mental health and well-being surveillance report that Jen, I mentioned right at the start, that's publicly available online. And that's that's an interesting read. And again, that's something that's continuing to be monitored. So I expect will be updated as well. So it's, that's worth having a look at. And then from a sort of mental well-being point of view, mentalhealth.org.uk has got some really great advice um, and is w worth having a look at. 
And mind.org.uk has got really good advice, both for employers and for employees. And that's where you can find the sort of templates for wellness action plans and lots of other resources. Wonderful. That's such a great summary. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks for your time. And so to summarise, for employers, be aware of the data that you're collecting, manage your obligations in relation to that information, keep people's information secure, think about carrying out an impact assessment, talk to the employees, keep them keep them safe, treat them fairly and update your privacy notice. Make sure everyone's aware of what's happening and allow them to exercise their information rights. Um, maintain clear guidelines for man- managers. That's the message I'm getting. And also be empathic and human and set clear boundaries. For employees, then only share what you're comfortable with. Have a chat, be open with how you're feeling, create your wellbeing plan. And if you're not doing so well, um, which is fine, it's fine not to be okay, you know, just just um, outline. So I want to thank, give a huge thanks to Alison and Janai for today. That's been really helpful. And privacy laws and business reports are invaluable ways uh, for business to understand the latest news in privacy. And there's plenty of information at privacylaws.com. You can hear more from Janai and Alison in our next report. So please subscribe to this channel, the Privacy Paths podcast, and to the monthly PLMB reports. You'll feel better for it. Thanks, guys.